0: Hey, Katie. Hey, Ben. Uh, a while back, actually, our last two episodes, we were talking about uh, machine translation, and you early on mentioned the Blue Score, which is a way of evaluating how well a uh, machine translation algorithm is doing. Can we dive into that a bit more? You bet. Awesome. You are listening to Linear Digressions. Yeah. Also, Blue Score, it's B L E U, as you right. said. And this is making me hungry. Why? Blue cheese, blue cheese dressing. Oh, yeah. Like for the last, uh, for the last uh, hour of recording, because we've recorded all of these in a row. Um, I've been wanting a salad with blue cheese dressing.
1: Well, we will try to expedite this podcast so you can go crunch through your iceberg lettuce. I don't blame yes. you. I love okay. some blue cheese dressing. Okay. So does this thing worse? Yeah. Yeah. For sure. Uh, so the idea of a blue score is that you want to have some way of evaluating the quality of a machine translation.
0: And my first thought about this, it seems like it's not something you can really easily do. I mean, my 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 first way of solving this is okay, you get someone who speaks both languages and you you ask them like, how good is this translation? But that's obviously not very scalable. Uh, it's really expensive. You got to find a bunch of translators.
1: Yeah, but I think, you're, I think you're onto something here, uh, which is that basically having humans in the loop is probably a pretty important part of this, or at least this one mm-hmm. that I don't know the way out of it. Um, and so the way to heuristically interpret a blue score is that the higher a blue score is, the closer you are to a good human translation. So we think of a, a good bilingual human as a kind of gold standard for translation.
0: And just to get an idea, how high of a blue score do good bilingual human translators usually get?
1: So there's a hypothetical upper limit of a blue score of one, but even certain humans will not necessarily achieve a blue score of
0: one. Okay. Um, so, but so they we're could get between zero and one, is what we're talking about.
1: Yeah, although, so here's the thing is it gets really tricky because a blue score is evaluated on a sentence level. And so let's suppose you have a translation that's a paragraph long or that's a page long. Um, And so then what you do is you, you know, would add them all together or something like this. And so... The um, th- the reason that I started reading about blue scores actually was because that's the metric that they use for the Google machine translation system to try to compare all the different translation systems that they're doing. And so sometimes they're like, oh, we got a blue score of 35. And sometimes they're like, we got a blue score of four. And sometimes we got a blue score of 21. Oh, um, interesting. Yeah. And so it can be really tricky to know exactly how those compare all these different scenarios against each other. But the main thing is that you're looking within a certain table, let's say, of all of these different translation options that should be, uh, they're being evaluated on the same data set. And so then those blue scores can be compared to each other. So in absolute terms, you see blue scores that are all over the place. Um, But comparatively speaking, the way to read it is the higher, the better.
0: Okay, so how exactly do uh, do you do a blue score?
1: Yeah. So the idea of a blue score is that you have two pieces to it that you need. You need what are called reference sentences, and then you have the translation candidate. So reference sentences are translations of a given sentence that have actually been performed by a human. So these are, you know, good gold standard translations.
0: Got it. In a sense, that's your training set.
1: Well, yeah, it's it's kind of like the denominator in your... the you know ratio that you're going to make here so a a good human translation we say like if a machine for example is able to create the exact same translation that a human did then we say that the machine translation and the human translation are indistinguishable blue score of one everyone go home happy Mm
0: -hmm.
1: now even certain humans of course will not always come up with the exact same translation as other humans that's why even humans will sometimes not achieve a blue score of one. Got it. Because there
0: are multiple ways of translating something. Exactly. Okay, exactly. so I have a question. This yes. seems like a good metric for for saying did they get at 100% right, or did they not? But I guess how do you, how do you how do you take that single uh, that single point, which is your sentence that you're comparing your translated sentence to? And determine how similar they are. Like that, that seems like a difficult thing to do intelligently.
1: Uh, sure. Yeah. So there's a combination of several different heuristics that we say, in general, you want to see in order to say that these are, are similar translations. The general idea is that we want to look for a high incidence of words or phrases that overlap between the human translation and the machine translation. Mm-hmm. And so the higher the, the overlap, the closer we say they are. Just doing something like uh, we have a bag of words or maybe a, a bag of phrases, a bag of n-grams, and we just see how many of them match up between the human, what we'll call like the reference sentence, is one of the ones that's made by a human. And then a candidate sentence is something that's made by a machine, usually, heuristically.
0: Okay, so that would figure out, are they using the same words?
1: yeah there are a couple of places where you need to be careful here though. The first is that let's suppose that you have a reference sentence this is a, the human translates a sentence as the cat is on the mat and then let's suppose that the machine translation for this sentence is the 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 just the word the seven times. This is not a very good translation no however <laughs> if if the metric that you're saying is like how many words of overlap do we have between these two sentences, well, there's two words of overlap. The word "the" occurs mm. twice in our human sentence, and it uh-huh. occurs seven times in our machine sentence. And so, like, maybe that's not doing too badly.
0: Additionally, you could also have an algorithm translate it as "the ca- the mat is on the cat," which is a completely different sentence, but it uh, has exactly the same words in the in the original sense.
1: Yes, although a lot of times, so this is this is actually an interesting point. So the blue score so you can calculate it as how many words of overlap do we have you can also instead of working with the fundamental of unit of analysis as being a word you can use it as like a bigram so two words that appear adjacent to each other
0: Mm. or a three
1: gram which is like three words that appear together
0: oh that's cool yeah that's really smart
1: and so there's yeah so what they actually end up doing is they find that um that the best way to Um, You you calculate a blue score basically for each of the different bases, so for words, for bigrams, trigrams, and then up to four grams usually. So you have several different formulations of a blue score, maybe for a given translation, and then there's usually kind of a weighted combination that they make of them. So it, it prioritizes actually getting the exact words correctly in the unigrams, like the one word blue score. um, But then it also prioritizes getting them sort of in the right order relative to each other. That's what like the three grams and the four grams are going to accomplish.
0: Nice. I like that. That's a that's a nice simple solution that pretty much solves the word order problem.
1: Yeah. One of the other things that can be tricky about this if you implement it a little bit too naively and that blue has accommodations for is basically translations that are too short or that are too long. So depending on, so you want to have like lots of overlap between the machine translation and the human translation. So one way you can say lots of overlap is that, we'll define lots of overlap as meaning that there are, that the words that the machine uses um, have a very high incidence of being used by humans also. Um, But one of the problems with that is that then if you have a machine translation, that's just absurdly short, But all the words in that translation are used by humans, then, you know, a a very naive implementation of like a scoring method might not take that into account properly. So the example is, let's say we have um, a human translates a sentence and it says, it is the guiding principle which guarantees the military forces always being under the command of the party. Or another human might say, it is the practical guide for the army always to heed the directions of the party. Or maybe someone else says, it is a guide to action that assures that the military will forever heed party commands. These are all saying kind of substantively similar things. Um, And then the machine translation is of the. Ah. (laughs) So of the, as it happens, occurs in two of our three translations. Right. So jackpot here or something. Well, no, not really, because of the is not a very interesting translation. (laughs) So we want to have some kind of penalty for translations that are too short. Uh, and so basically the way that they do that is they look at the length of the of the human translations and then the length of the of the machine translation. And there's a penalty for if there's you know far fewer words in the um, machine translation relative to the humans. Uh, same thing for making things that are too long. <laughs> so another example is, let's suppose we have three different human translations of a sentence. Uh, the first human translation is I always do. Second one is, I invariably do. Third one is, I perpetually do. Uh, And then we have two candidate machine translations. Uh, The first one is, I always do. And the second one is, I always invariably perpetually do. (laughs) So so on the one hand, you know, I always do is word for word a a translation that matches with one of the human translations, so that's good, but if you have a the second translation I always invariably perpetually do, yeah, is overlapping with all three of the human translations. So maybe that's three times as good.
0: No, no it's uh, not
1: <laughs> so. The idea is that you just want to penalize also for redundancy, basically, or for uh, translations that are far longer than for any of the human translations.
0: Mm. So it it seems almost like uh, like bumper bowling in a sense, where you're you're kind of setting up your limits on the lower end and your limits on the upper end um, and actually in, in other axes and dimensions as well when you're comparing these things you can't just say compare this directly along this at one axis or in this one way because there are all of these different ways that the machine can kind of go wrong like one of them being too short one of them being too long one of them repeating a word that's in all of the, the examples even if it's the same length that's kind of a problem
1: Yeah, I think the idea is like, what are the things that make a a translation sound natural? And to the extent possible, let's try to codify those into a score. And that's what the blue score is trying to do, is trying to structure a a metric that basically rewards something that sounds like actual human, the way that humans actually talk. Again, you know, the way that, that this is all formulated is how much overlap do we have between a machine translation and a human translation? And in the end, you know, like the blue score hasn't been around forever. Somebody had to invent it. It was invented. The The paper that I'm reading about it is from 2002. So it's, you know, 15 it's been around for old. a while. Yeah. I mean, it's it's been around for a while, but it hasn't been around forever. But the way that they originally validated it was basically by saying, is, is there is there a strong correlation between blue scores and like, whether humans say that a translation sounds good to them or not, like that was the original uh, way that this was all validated. So again, it's, it's very much about coming up with a metric that's trying to quantify something that's much more about like, how does something feel like it sounds to us? Which I think is right. kind of a cool idea, you know, taking this very slippery idea and nailing a number onto it.
0: You know, just to kind of wrap this episode up with a digression, uh, we got an email from uh, one of our listeners. And he raised the point that sometimes while reading research papers uh, the paper will make a reference to something like oh I don't know the blue score and then as the reader if you haven't heard about it you go off of uh, you go off on some crazy digression you go on Wikipedia you start reading you have to click on other things and you end up going uh, on this this crazy wild goose chase trying to like really deeply understand something so you can go back to the original paper that you want to read And kind of the the question that he posed is, how do you you deal with that? And uh, from my perspective, coming at it from a software development perspective, um, I like to imagine that I put on kind of a fuzzy parsing hat, right? So you go, you read about the blue score, you maybe kind of fuzz over roughly how it works, you get kind of a, a loose idea of it. You don't need to have a really deep understanding of how it works necessarily to get through your paper. Although it can be fun if you've got the time, but I guess that kind of raises, for me at least, the difficulty where if I'm reading a paper or a blog uh, post about something, the length of the paper or the blog post is not necessarily anymore an accurate metric for how much time I have to invest to understand it because there may be something I don't understand and then I have to go and read something else about it, right? as a beginner to anything, that's kind of a big problem because there's so much that you don't know and most of the things that you want to learn have these other concepts that are prerequisites to understanding the thing that you're actually wanting to learn.
1: Yeah, I totally agree with that. I mean, the whole reason that we're going on this this entire episode is a digression of sorts because I was reading about machine translation and all the machine translation papers are saying like, "Oh, look at our blue score for here and our blue score for there, and this one's higher." And I was like, "I don't know what that means." <laughs> um, oh, like so, this higher, or better. Yeah, I, like that was that was literally how this started. Was I was like, "I just want to know which one is better." And <laughs> You're not telling me in this paper. You assume I already know. I need to go learn this. And then the you know the paper, the original paper for where they lay out the blue metric. You know, eventually you can basically piece it back together. It's not crystal clear there right at the outset either, but it's not that hard to figure out that higher is better. So yeah, obviously these digressions can end up being some of the more, some really interesting stuff. This is interesting enough that we decided that it deserved its own episode. But I think that's right, that one of the things that's hardest about trying to get into a new field is just knowing knowing when you need to really invest in jumping into something when you need to just understand the basics of it, like high blue score is better. uh, And when it, you know, sometimes it doesn't even really matter that much at all. I don't know that I have anything more to add to that, except that um, the more you do it, the easier it gets because you just build up a, a foundation. For example, this machine translation stuff was also built on the foundation of recurrent neural nets that we covered a few weeks ago. I don't think we would have been able to do this if I hadn't had to think about neural nets for a while back. So. Um, it does build upon itself and it does get easier and it gets more fun and it accelerates and all these good things happen as you get more experienced.
0: Linear Digressions is a Creative Commons endeavor, which means you can share or use it any way you like. Just tell them we said hi. To find out more about this or any other episode of Linear Digressions, go to LinearDigressions.com. And if you like this podcast, go ahead and leave us a review on iTunes so other people get to listen to this content, too. You can always get in touch with either of us. Our emails are Ben at LinearDigressions.com and Katie at LinearDigressions.com in case you have comments or suggestions for future shows. You can tweet us at LinDigressions. Thank you for joining us, and we'll see you next time.